dance before the Lord. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Mitzorah, person afflicted with Sara'at. The address is Vaikra, Leviticus, chapter 14, verse 1, through chapter 15, verse 33. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher, Ariel ben Lyman. The written commentary was updated on April 8th of 2006. Note that all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible translation by David H. Stern. Jewish New Testament publications incorporated, unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruka ta'adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher b'achar b'anu mikol ha'amim, v'natan lanu et Torato. Baruka ta'adonai notein ha'torah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, this is Parashat Mitzorah. And this portion functions as a continuation of the previous passages dealing with the deadly disease of Tzara'at, or commonly referred to as leprosy. Um, during regular years, the two short portions of um, Tazriah and Mitzorah, they're read together. And in leap years, they are read separately. Um, before I get started, I just want to uh, recommend that you read Tazriah or uh, go and download the audio portion. It's a short portion. It's about 35 minutes long in length. Um, it's shorter due to its um, uh, coupling with Mitzorah during um, certain uh, years as we find the calendar lining up that way. The reason I recommend that you go back and read it is because we talked about the concepts of Tumah and Tahara, respectively. Um, Tumah is the noun associated with the adjective um, Tameh. Tameh is more or less translated uh, ritual impurity. That is to say, a person who is ritually Im unclean cannot approach the Holy Sancta, nor can he interact with his fellow Israelites um, properly, because the ritual uncleanness can be transmitted to other individuals or to vessels or to utensils or to things of the like. And so if you are ritually unclean, if you are a Tumah, then the Torah prescribes the necessary measures to isolate you or to, to um, um, quarantine you, as it were, so that you don't spread such uncleanness. Conversely, once you have been pronounced Tahor, um, 
by the priest, then you can once again resume normal contact uh, both with your fellow Israelites as well as um, approach the Holy Sancta. Now, that's not to say that you are really just in a state of helplessness until this disease is taken care of. As we're going to see in this commentary, um, Tahor and Tameh gained their strongest applications and or meanings in relationship to the tabernacle and the temple of days gone by. Because we have no such holy sancta present in the 21st century, indeed we haven't had a tabernacle or temple for, well, let's put it this way, we haven't had a tabernacle for 2,000 years, and we haven't had a temple, I'm sorry, we haven't had a temple for about 2,000 years, and we haven't had a tabernacle for about 3,000 years years, give or take a, a hundred years. So um, these concepts aren't as easily understood today, nor are they as easily applicable. All right. Having said that, let's move down now into my lesson. It shouldn't be a long lesson, probably 40 minutes at the most, okay? The important lesson that must be appropriated from both Parashat Tazriah and from Parashat Mitzorah is that the disease of Tzara'at could only be diagnosed and treated if it proved to be transitory. Okay, The job of the functioning Kohen, the priest of that day, was to examine the patient, make notes on the condition, wait, re-examine the patient, make more notes, and finally pronounce the findings of his diagnosis. If you were fortunate, to, his verdict was tahor, cleansed. Okay, If you were blessed, I might add. For those unfortunate few who ended up with the chronic form of this skin malady, their fate was sad indeed. And what was that? Banishment from the community of ritually clean people. The Torah prescribes no cure for chronic tzara'at. Now, isn't that interesting? It's almost as if, and this is just my personal opinion, it's almost as if the person who had contracted this skin disease must rely on the mercy and the grace of an otherwise silent God. Because by God not giving us a remedy for um, a cure, it almost seems as if God doesn't care if we get cured. But that's far from the case. Actually, I believe... It actually pushes the individual further into a dynamic relationship with their holy God. You see what I mean there? Far from pushing them away from God, this should draw them closer to, into a relationship with God, where they fall on the mercy of God's grace and ask and cry out to God to forgive them and to heal them. And nowhere was this demonstrated more fully than in the person and the work of Yeshua, our merciful Messiah, the man who, who by first century standards, was the Messiah because he demonstrated by the miraculous proofs that Tzara'at would flee from him, that, Tahar, that, 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 that the Tumah would flee from him, that the uncleanness would not latch itself onto him or latch, uh, uh, um, cling to him, but rather uncleanness would flee from the Master. Isn't that a wonderful demonstration of his genuine Messiahship? Before we go and just... Um, uh, collapse everything into the person work of Messiah. I'm not saying that's a wrong thing, but what we what we're what we should be doing first and foremost as we seek to understand the Torah is to understand its application and its um, its relevance for the persons who were living in the time period when the Torah was first given. Thus, we must do a, an historical um, construct of what the time period of the talk was like. So, this next section is going to be an exercise in that direction. So, this next um, paragraph. Or this next section is entitled, 
No hope? With a question mark after the word hope. Ismar Shoresh, um, or Shorsh, is chancellor of the prestigious Jewish Theological Seminary in Manhattan, New York. His mother um, is a survivor of the Shoah, the Holocaust, and his mother has had chronic psoriasis for as long as he can remember. He makes an interesting comparison between this disease, Tzara'at, and his mother's psoriasis, finally coming to this grim conclusion. Now, for this next section, I'm going to lift a quote directly from his website. Uh, the link is at the bottom of page two, where the footnote number one shows up. All right, and you can click on that link if you'd like to read the full article. Let's read this chancellor's um, story about his mother, okay? I am struck rather by the fate of the person who came down with psoriasis. What would have happened to my mother in the Israelite camp in the wilderness? Our material, our material, which is entirely of priestly origin, focuses exclusively on diagnosis. The function of the priest is to distinguish between the chronic and the temporary state of a skin ailment. That may require a period of quarantine, one or two weeks, everything in multiples of seven, of course, after which a final determination is made. Should the person be lucky enough to be declared clean, he or she would be subject to more than a rite of purification, which would eliminate, I'm sorry, would be, would be subject to no more than a rite of purification, which would eliminate all traces of impurity. Our parasha, however, offers no hope for the person afflicted with something more grave than a passing skin eruption. In short, my mother would have been banished from the camp permanently. Without benefit of a prophet's prayer, she would have been regarded as a source of constant danger to the purity of the tabernacle and the safety of the community. The Torah leaves no doubt about her fate. It bluntly describes what was to be done to the victim of an incurable disease. Quote, as for the person with a leprous infection or affection, his clothes shall be rent, his head shall be left bare, and he shall cover his upper lip, and he shall call out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall be unclean as long as the disease is on him. Being unclean, he shall dwell apart, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. End quote. That's lifted, of course, from Leviticus 13:45 through 46 the Chancellor goes on to conclude, with its overriding concern for the purity of the tabernacle, Leviticus made no provision for those thrown into an irredeemable state of impurity. If extended, it extended neither sympathy nor support to those most in need of both. Clearly, the public took good precedence over the well-being of the individual." End quote. That's a very sad commentary um, in many ways. Uh, this, comment, this comment of his hits home when we realize that such individuals' lives were forever altered by the decision made by the priest. Such individuals might possibly fall into a state of bitterness and resentment against both the priest and against God for seemingly, quote, cursing them, end quote, with this skin condition. Don't you think so? What would you do if you were... You were what would you do if you're the Chancellor's mother? What would you do if you were the individual living in the time period of the Tanakh and you had contracted Sarah'at? Would you get bitter against God? Would you curse him to the day you died? Would you be bitter against the priest for pronouncing you um, um, as a Tuma? Or would you do something else? Let's read on. Hashem is not without compassion. 
Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love is demonstrated in every generation, but has been demonstrated most completely, as I mentioned earlier, and effectively in the generation that Yeshua lived in. Why? Because only Yeshua has been documented with curing an Israelite from the chronic form of Tzara'at. Again, Naaman is an exception to this statement in the sense that Naaman was told to go dip and and be cleansed in the and I believe it was the Jordan River, a, a river which he which he complained about was dirty. But even then, perhaps it was the it, in fact most definitely it was the healing of Yeshua that set this man free. We just don't read that it's Yeshua's name that's attached to it. But God's healing hand, his healing hand of mercy is in fact his son, Messiah Yeshua. Only Messiah Yeshua can heal us. And that's why we go to God for our healing, because the Messiah is the right arm of the Lord. I imagine that even in those days, that the priest who was diagnosing and pronouncing these uh, various individuals with Tahara, or these various individuals with um, Tuma, I imagine he also, at some point in time, dropped to his knees and cried out to God, Oh dear God, creator of heaven and earth, merciful Father, the one who extends mercy to those who love him and keep his covenant. Dear Lord, please heal these individuals that I can only pronounce as unclean, but you, O oh Lord, can heal them. Won't you please heal them? I imagine that that was the heart and the prayer of many a priest of that day. Don't you think so? I don't think I'm too far from the, uh, from the truth there. Again, let's quote from my previous commentary, um, the one of Tazriah that we just uh, uh, studied just recently. The proof that the coming Messiah was a genuine and not a phony was demonstrated not only in that he would heal the afflicted individual, but that he himself would not become defiled. In Yeshua's example given in Matthew 8, 1-4, our Lord instructed the former leper to go to the priest as a testimony unto them. This was done for at least two reasons. Number one, in obedience to the very mitzvah found in Parashat Tazriah, vindicating Yeshua's adherence to the Torah of Moshe, and number two, to authenticate the miracle, thus proving his claims to Messiahship. In every single instance where he healed the, the inflicted or raised the dead, his holiness did not decrease. His state of clean never diminished. On the contrary, disease and death always fled from his presence. Surely he was the Messiah for those days, and surely he is the Messiah for us today. End quote. You know, as I stated at the close of the previous commentary, quote, when our uncleanness encounters the holiness of the prophet from Nazareth, our disease must flee. We have no need to go about crying, Tamei, Tamei, unclean, unclean. Rather, we have the freedom to pronounce Tahor, Tahor, cleansed, cleansed. This wonderful truth, the one I'm describing for us, is a result of our placing our trusting faithfulness in the hands of the healer of healers. Why do we resist his healing? Just like the leprous individuals of our two poor portions, we need to come before the priest 
for only his office was given the authority to make the pronouncement tamay upon the inflicted individual. And in fact, reference Parshat Dazriah, read Leviticus 13, verse 6, verse 13, verse 17, verse 23, verse 28, verse 34, verse 37, verse 38, verse 41, verse 58, and verse 49. 49. And from Parashat Mitzorah, read Leviticus 14, verse 8, verse 9, verses 18 through 20, and verses 29 through 32. The priest is the one who was um, given the authority to make the pronouncement. The priest is the one who was the... Um, uh, the eyes and ears of God, as it were. He is the one who diagnoses the individual, and he is the one who makes the pronouncement whether or not the individual was clean. He was not the individual in the case of the Tanakh who was able to clean the individual, who was able to heal the individual. However, by comparison, Yeshua being our great high priest, he is the one who demonstrated that he is very one with God, the Father, by becoming the only one who could heal such an individual. You see how the office of Yeshua uh, carries dual functions of both high priest as well as God? Yeshua is our high priest. He is the one who was hearing the, the, the prayers and the intercession. Uh, he intercedes for us on behalf of a holy God and an otherwise uh, unholy people. Yet, Yeshua also demonstrates his oneness with the Father by being the only individual, the only person able to heal a person afflicted with a deadly, infectious, leprous disease known as Tzara'at. It must be individually internalized by each and every one of us today that, that, that in our Messiah Yeshua, the Torah calls all genuine believers a kingdom of Kohanim, a kingdom of priests, a title previously exclusively reserved Ram Yisrael in Exodus 19.6, but now extended unto the entire body of our Lord. Read Revelation 1.6. What, what is the implication? What, how does that bear significance for us today that, that, um, that we are referred to as a kingdom of priests, both in Revelation and in 1 Peter, I might add? Well, as priests, we have the awesome responsibility of showcasing the glory of Hashem to the surrounding nations, as well as ministering to one another in the body. That's right. The priest was responsible for ministering healing, as it were, to the people who came to him. In his diagnosis of the disease, he was doing the work of God. He was not healing the people, but he was doing the work of God. He recognized that in pronouncing the person unclean, that he was safeguarding the ritual purity of the community and in welcoming the very same individual back into the community after the healing took place he was again doing the work of God it comes full circle how does this apply to you and I today well this means that the healing of the person afflicted with sarat among us takes place when the genuine flow of mercy and grace from the healer flows through us we don't heal the individual. We are his hands and his feet. We extend mercy and grace to the individual. And God is the one who does the healing. Yes, today, Yeshua still seeks to touch those lepers among us. Yet his hands and his feet are 
actuated, as it were, within our hands and our feet. If we fail to reach out to our own community, then how is Yeshua able to heal among us? We have been given the important task of becoming His hands and His feet so that we can reach out to those in our community who are desperately needing a healing from the Master. We extend the mercy of God to those in our community as we interact with them. We have become His extension of mercy and healing among the inflicted and the afflicted, I might add. We've got to reach out to one another in love and mercy. We cannot close up and withdraw ourselves from interacting with those in our community. To be sure, it's a sin. I won't say any more on that lesson. That's, that's, I guess that's self, that, that speaks for itself. Let's move on in my commentary. This next section is entitled, Spotting the Phonies. Oh yes, wherever the genuine is uh, in existence, you can bet that the charlatans are sure to be there to try and steal the limelight. This also means that a heavy price will be paid by those charlatans who claim to have a healing touch from God. I'm not going to name any names in this in this commentary, but we all know of individuals, both some both, both some famous and some infamous, who claim to be able to heal, but whose very lives testify otherwise, who claim to be sent by God, but whose life indicates that they are not operating under the um, under the instructions of an otherwise holy God. While it needs to be realized that not every show and tell healer is a phony, Unfortunately, many unsuspecting sheep are rapidly being caught up, both back in days days gone by as well as today, caught up in the sweeping wave of sensationalism, without having any real depth of understanding of the grander purposes of our Almighty Father. As such, many unsuspecting believers are sometimes duped into giving up all that they own to follow these individuals from city to city as a sort of disciple, only to discover in the end that they had been following a cult of some sort. Now this time I will name a few names. In its extreme case, it can lead to corporate suicides and the like. Recall Jim Jones in Guyana, or more recently we have David Koresh in the Branch Davidians, where people followed this charlatan to their very deaths. And that's a shame. On a level closer to our own neighborhood, it can, it can assume the guise of the popular faith healer, on our own Christian television broadcasts. Again, I'm not going to name any names. Many of you listening to my podcast know of such individuals. We simply cannot and must not be caught up in sensationalism. We've got to have ourselves rooted and grounded in the secure word of God. We've got to become Torah students. We've got to know what God's word says regarding the healing that takes place in our communities. But don't misunderstand what I'm teaching here. Please don't walk away and say, well, Ariel, are you saying that such individuals that you're alluding to aren't really providing healing at all? That's not what I'm teaching. We are about to experience a genuine flowing of the charismata, the supernatural sign gifts. We really are poised to um, enter into a phase, I believe, where God is going to pour out His Spirit among all flesh. To be sure, Joel prophesies that that's what's going to happen someday. And as we get closer and closer to the second coming of Messiah, I believe we're going to see the Spirit poured out. Before our Lord returns to take His bride unto Himself, I believe 
that the Ruach HaKodesh will again be poured out in abundance among his faithful followers. Again, Joel 2, 28-32. The great and terrible day of the Lord is fast approaching, people. And his genuine Talmudim, his genuine disciples, will again witness in power and in truth to prepare the earth for his coming. Amen? Amen. Surely, this will involve a resurgence of supernatural miracles to include healings. I'm not trying to negate, to negate that fact. Yet, the apostolic writings also make it frighteningly clear that the counterfeit signs will also abound. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3-12, through 12, all right? Wherever you find genuine healing, you're always going to find the phonies. And guess what? Guess what the problem is? The problem is, is they are going to be able to offer healing. That's not the that's not the counterfeit that I'm referring to. The healings will be genuine. The problem is they won't be sent by God. So the scary part in this whole thing is that healing at times may not always be from God. Oh yes, the cultic powers, the demonic forces, can and do heal. Oy vey. We need therefore to learn in this day and age how to spot the genuine and how to avoid the counterfeit. So that's where I'm going to turn next in my commentary. How do we accomplish this task? This next section is entitled Getting Under the Skin. And there's a pun there intended, obviously. Allow me to make a midrash on the current parasha, okay? When a person afflicted with Sara'at was recognized as such, that is to say he was diagnosed by the priest, he was banished to a place outside of the camp. Read Leviticus 13, verse 45, as well as 14, verse 3. And he was banished there until he could be examined by the Kohen and thus receive the announcement of Tahor, that is to say cleansed. Now today we don't really encounter too many within our midst of believers um, with the deadly disease of leprosy. Uh, remember, the unclean individual came from among their own, right? The unclean individual was not someone who just wandered in from the surrounding nations, walked up to the priest and said, Hey, guess what? I got this really infectious skin disease. Can you tell me what's going on? What we're referring to is individuals within the community of Israel who were otherwise <clears throat> um, expected to be able to interact with the um, both the people of Israel as well as with the Holy Sancta. And in this interaction, they were uh, they found themselves in a state of impurity. So I suppose we could ask ourselves, do we encounter people with Sarah'at today? Our natural answer, our, 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 our knee-jerk answer is to respond, no. We don't really encounter leprosy in uh, many places of the world today. Or do we? That's where I want to midrash for a moment, okay? Leprosy as I've been describing it so far, is not only limited to physical skin diseases. To be sure, the rabbis taught that leprosy was actually an outward manifestation of a greater personal and inward spiritual disease. In particular, they believed that Sarah'at was brought on by slander, gossip, and a haughty, proud spirit, to, to name just a few. Now, some of you listening to my commentary said, well, well, gosh, Ariel, I don't believe everything that the rabbis teach. How do they arrive at that postulation? Well, I'm glad you asked. The methods of cleansing mentioned in our current portion include various plants and tree wood to include the noble cedars. 
usually from Lebanon. You can read 14 verse 4 and verse 6 to see some of the rituals involved. After the priest had pronounced the individual as clean, then they would have to go through these prescriptions. Let's turn now to the Talmud to see um, where the rabbis get the uh, impetus for this explanation of theirs. The Talmud states in Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes Rabbah 7, actually it's the Midrash Rabbah, um, to Ecclesiastes 7, quote, This is what Solomon said, Why are the most majestic and most humble of plants, cedarwood and hyssop, combined in these rites of purification? Because man is stricken with leprosy as a punishment for being haughty and arrogant as a cedar, and when he humbles himself like the lowly hyssop, he will ultimately be cured. End quote. Now again, that's rabbinic midrash. But but before you um, just close down on me and, and disagree, hear me out. All right. <clears throat> the genuine healing of tsara'at of an individual, physical tsara'at brings with it a healing of the mind and the spirit as well as the body. In other words, we're talking about the holistic healing. The ancient Israelites didn't think of the people, didn't think of a man as separated into the three components like we kind of describe them today, the body, the mind, the spirit, where they can function um, irrespective of one another and not worry about it. In other words, if the body was sick, the mind suffered. And if the mind was sick, the body suffered. And if both were sick, then the spirit suffered. And on and on it went. The relationship between the three parts um, worked in conjunction, so that if, in tandem, so that if one part was sick, it affected the other two parts. That's the Hebraic way of thinking of a person. And conversely, or consequently, I think that's the correct way to, to, to think today. We can't have individuals who walk around who are sick in the body who are not also affected in their spirit and in their soul. Okay? If the person remains outside of the camp of genuine believers, then his healing was probably a show. And in the end, it won't but just be his body that perishes. What do I mean? In other words, let's say we've got someone who's sick in their body, and they come up to this healer of today. Let's say they come up to one of these faith healers, and they say, Heal me, O faith healer. I believe in Jesus. Heal me. And they get healed of their affliction in the body. But that same individual goes on to shun church attendance, goes on to shun Bible reading, goes on to shun genuine fellowship with his neighbor, goes on basically to um, not love his fellow man, I would question whether or not his healing was genuine or not. That's what I'm trying to say. In other words, if he remains outside of a community, then I don't believe he was genuinely healed. It sounds to me like it was just a phony healing, one that was put together by, again, maybe, maybe the spirits themselves, but certainly not by God's spirit, because God seeks to draw us together in a genuine community of believers. Okay? Jew and Gentile alike. That's why Yeshua stated that if that the, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. How can we experience um, quote-unquote genuine healing amongst us if we continue to backbite and lash out at one another? No, something's wrong with that picture. So, back to my example. The individual who approaches the faith healer of today receives a quote-unquote ostensible healing from this individual, but then walks away uh, with hate in his heart for his brother, I, I would question again his genuine healing. To be sure, one day his body will probably die, and guess what? His soul will also perish if he fails to, to, to um, place his genuine faith in the genuine healer of healers, namely Yeshua himself. 
a genuine and complete healing of body. Let me just summarize what I'm trying to say here, okay? A genuine and complete healing of body by the genuine healer of healers should be followed by a genuine healing of the spirit. Wouldn't you agree? The healings described in our parasha allow the individual to do what? To come back into the community. And this was mainly on the physical level. An individual who surrenders to the master physician and becomes supernaturally cured of his physical and spiritual tzara'at likewise becomes a member of the community of called out ones, our believers, okay? Let's do our part in helping these precious new members feel welcomed. This next section in my Torah in my Torah commentary is going to relate a personal lesson that I myself experienced. Now, I've told the story to other individuals, and it goes back a few years. But let me go ahead and retell it for those of you who are new to my commentaries, all right? I, I, for the most part, the incident is accurate. I didn't change much of it. I, I changed a little bit of it just to contextually fit my commentary. But for the most part, it's fairly accurate, all right? I want to build on the rabbi's interpretation and further suggest that the Tzara'at infecting many believers today, the, the leprosy that I'm describing, is indeed a spiritual sickness, okay? In other words, I'm basing, a, I'm making a midrash on leprosy, on, on, on Tzara'at. I'm not saying that Tzara'at doesn't exist today. I just don't have the medical research to go out and, and, and properly uh, demonstrate that it does exist today. It probably does exist in some um, cases and in some countries. I don't think that there are many um, verified reports of leprosy in America today. However, what I'd like to do is midrash on the topic of spiritual leprosy. In other words, spiritual disease, all right? When we knowingly, well, let me just back up. It's agreed that we all belong to a community, all right? We belong to the community. Believers are part of a greater community. No man is an island unto himself. Yet when we knowingly or unknowingly allow our various members to be used as instruments of unrighteousness, I believe we open the door to spiritual defilement. Now remember, the sages mentioned pride and arrogance in our above example, but allow me to share a personal example that may just hit close that may just hit close to home, especially with you male readers, okay? Listen up. Now, I'm not trying to pick on any specific person, but rather, since I'm a male, the example that I'm about to share with you is more naturally um, associated with males, okay? The following incidents are true, and it happened to the author. Therefore, the names have not been changed. You've heard those stories where the following story is true, but the names and, and, and um, individuals have been changed to protect the innocent. No, in this case, this is me I'm talking about, okay? This was I, Ariel Ben Lyman, the one writing this commentary. Just before I began to prepare this commentary a few years ago, it, didn't ha it doesn't happen every year, obviously, but uh, I think it was probably five years ago when I originally prepared this commentary, maybe six or seven, something like that. Several years ago when I was originally preparing this commentary, I, um, I decided to do some research using an internet search engine. Uh, for this particular uh, commentary. And you know, these days, these computer-assisted researches use keywords to collaborate a wealth of information, and then uh, your browser will usually display the various resources for you to browse through. And so what happens is um, you type in the word or the words or the phrases of whatever it is you're looking for, and you click on the results. And if you type the right wording, then you get the proper results. But as is the case today, sometimes you can be misled or... Um, um, 
you can be um, directed to really bad websites. I mean, if you just type the word the wrong way, like for instance, I've heard that you know the popular search engine Google, G O O G L E. Well, if you type in, if you type that in with just one G, G O O G. I'm sorry. If you if you misspell it, like with two G, G O O G G L E, or or goggle, G O G G L E. Um, you'll be taken to some really strange websites that you really wished you never had seen. Well, um, the word that I was searching for using in my search engine uh, when I was putting together this commentary had to do with psychological disorders. Uh, since my midrash is purporting that the serious illness of physical tzara'at can be compared to a sort of spiritual sickness of sorts, I thought, I wonder if I could look up some um, stats on uh, psychological disorders or... Um, um, you know, just so I can get maybe an idea of, of how the doctors try to diagnose um, disorders of the mind is what I was looking for. And my query yielded a host of various websites where psychology was mentioned. So I figured maybe I was on the right track when I typed in. I can't even remember at the time what, what my phrase was that I typed. So what happened is um, Google displays various results. And so I clicked on one of those sites, right, expecting to find some type of a doctor's report of maybe a diagnosis from one of his patients or something like that. And to my surprise, when I clicked on it, um, a mural of half-naked men and women invaded my computer screen instead. I mean, the, it, it was just blazingly flat, fast. Um, you know, all, before I could even figure out what was happening, all of a sudden I'm seeing men and women on my screen, uh, you know, in positions and doing things with one another... You know, just in pictures, I, I don't, I didn't know what, what what was happening. The link was, in my opinion, was mistakenly, or maybe not so mistakenly, it was cross reference to a website dealing with psychosexual disorders, and the topic of sexual bondage was the opening image or something to that effect. Because um, I guess I didn't read well enough. At any rate, you kind of get the idea of what's happening. Sometimes these websites pop up by mistake. Sometimes they pop up on purpose. And uh, before you know it, you, you know, you're trying to figure out what's happening. You're trying to browse back. Um, you know, you're trying to assess what, what mistake you made, if any. Um, you know, as in my case, I, I assessed the mistake and quickly began to browse back so that I didn't lose my initial query because I didn't just want to shut down the browser and then have to start all over. Um, but I did want to get rid of the current website, uh, which graphically displayed across my computer screen. You know, I just wanted to make it go away. But was I quick enough? And that's my challenge to many of you listening to my commentary today. Was I quick enough? Apparently not. For us, you know, when I made this, when I was putting together this commentary, here's what I mean: <clears throat> the images that I just described of the females and the males doing things that our God clearly did not create them to do, especially with partners who were obviously not their own. This image superimposed itself onto my mind in a matter of seconds. It's amazing how the mind works, how the eye takes a picture and the photo imprints itself on the brain. And um, in, that, in that brief moment, I felt violated. I felt as if someone had reached into my mind and, and, and posted something there that I didn't want there. It was an invasion, okay? Why would Yeshua allow this mistake to make its way to my computer, I thought to myself. Why? And, you know, for, for a brief moment, I was kind of upset. You know, this is my computer. And, and, and this is a computer that I've dedicated for use for the tour portions. And, and the browser is dedicated for God's work. And so um, I, I wish to spread the good news of the Messiah's atoning death, his burial, his resurrected life. Why did this happen, in other words? Well, 
when I was putting together commentary again, not this didn't happen this year in the year 2000 when I'm making this uh, recording. Rather, again, this happened probably seven years ago. I decided to forget about it and go on to type the very commentary that I'm sharing with you today. But the image wouldn't let me focus on the Torah. I kept thinking about what was I, was... I was analyzing the image. And it doesn't help the fact that I'm highly analytical to begin with. It wasn't so much that I was focusing on the image as it was that I was analyzing perhaps the image and why it happened and everything else in between. And um, what I what I decided to describe was that my mind had contracted a small form of sara'at. And it was... Um, it was beginning to make my whole body feel infectious. I felt I felt diseased, and um, I figured to myself, I need a Cohen. I need a priest fast. So, I didn't want to leave my room or leave my house and go go down to the synagogue and talk to the rabbi or go go to the church and talk to the priest. If you get my meaning, I needed, however, words of healing and comfort, and so I decided to go ahead and just stop move away from my computer, go to another room and quiet myself. Thanks be to God that I no longer have the mind of my former self. You know, in my former days, outside of the um, the uh, regenerated um, mind that I uh, uh, have now in Messiah, I'm not ashamed to admit that I probably would have dwelt further on the images, that I probably would have um, uh, uh, perhaps investigated further on that website. You know, as as an unregenerate man, that is... The, uh, the proclivity that we have to deal with, especially as men who are more visually oriented than women. I'm not saying that women aren't um, susceptible to the things I'm describing in this commentary. However, many of you men listening to my commentary can relate to what I'm talking about. Okay, We are naturally um, stimulated by what goes into the eye gate, and so for that very reason we need to guard what goes into our eyes and consequently what goes into our mind. I am no longer um, I'm no longer a slave to my members. I no longer need to allow my members to behave in the manner of an unredeemed man of this world's corrupt system in which I would pl- I would gather the uh, the physical stimulation necessary to produce a um, a stimulating a stimulating result. And I'm trying to be discreet in what I'm saying, but I think most of you listening to my commentary understand what I'm alluding to. Because of who I am in Messiah, I have the mind of Messiah. And so do you, if you're listening to this commentary and you've named the name of Jesus. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, informs me that I have been transformed by the renewing of my mind. My Kohen Hagadol is the only unique son of the Father himself, Jesus the Christ. I put down my keyboard All right, that day, and I picked up my sword. I stopped typing and went to the other room. I picked up my Bible, my Torah, and I thumbed through the current parashah looking for that blessed phrase. Where was it? Where was it? Ah, there it is. Quote, Thus the Kohen will make atonement for him, and he will be clean. That's um, Leviticus 14, verse 20, the last half of that verse. Those comforting words exploded upon the soul that was tainted with this world's leprosy. I humbly accepted my high priest's cleansing and uh, his pronouncement of Tahor. The spirit of the Holy One entered into my mind once again, and I felt his supernatural cleansing wash over my soul. And it was a wonderful cleansing. It was a wonderful healing. 
And so I basked for a moment in the light of this glorious truth. Because the Word of God and the Spirit of God tell me who I am in Messiah. But you know what? Hashem wasn't finished cleaning me just yet. You know, I'm reading about the individual who contracts Sara'at and what the priest is to do once he pronounces the um, statement that he's clean and the ritual that he's to go through. In other words, I felt as if God were saying that my body itself, not just my mind, but my body itself, needed to be immersed in this cleansing power. And so what did I do? <laughs> I took a shower. <laughs> I don't have a bathtub that I can fill up with water. And besides, it would take too long. Uh, I just wanted to... Um, to uh, experience this cleansing on a very tangible level. And so, sure enough, I took a shower. And it, you know what? It was amazing what the physical manifestation of a spiritual truth can do for the soul. The water pouring down over my head and washing the uh, impurity, as it were, down the drain. I felt recharged. I could kind of, for, the, for a moment, I could, I could identify with the person that I'm reading about in the book of Leviticus. I felt recharged and freshly prepared to write the commentary that I'm sharing with you right now. And so the Holy One, blessed be He, turned an otherwise trivial incident into something for me to be personally, uh, personally thankful for. And so I thanked God for the incident and for it, hap it happening. I prayed that I, I would not fall into the trap of yielding my members to unrighteousness. And I think you, those, those of you listening to my commentary who've gone through similar incidences, I'm not suggesting that you have to do what I did. I'm not saying that you have to um, pull out your Bible, turn to certain verses, and, um, and then as a result take a shower or a bath or something like that. But you know what? It worked for me. If I had a mikvah tank, I would have gone through a mikvah instead. I don't have a mikvah tank. Um, but if you have access to one, I highly recommend it. But what I do recommend you do is this. Avail yourself of the truths of God's Word and allow the Spirit of God to wash over you with this healing, with this transforming uh, a power to restore you to a state of purity once again. Do you feel defiled today? Do you feel that your eyes, your mind, your heart, your feet have been defiled? Do you feel like you've got uh, spiritual sara'at? Do you spirit feel like you've got spiritual leprosy? And do you feel like you've, you, all, you, all you can do is cry out, unclean, unclean? Well, I'm here to tell you today, you don't have to remain unclean. You can be cleansed by the high priest of us all, Yeshua, the Messiah. Let's draw my commentary to a conclusion, alright? This last section is entitled, Conclusion. The following incident may not ever happen to you. It may have already happened to you. You may believe that a leprous condition has infected your spirit and soul until you feel violated and dirty. Don't let the adversary lie to you. Don't let your old flesh and your old nature lie to you. It may be the leprosy of greed or lust or anger or jealousy or the leprosy of unforgiveness. Leprosy comes in many forms. You may be infected with the leprosy of pride or ill intent towards your neighbors, friends or family. Or you may just feel like you need a renewed and refreshing touch from the healer of healers. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's my recommendation. Go see the priest. His name is Yeshua. His words are spirit, and his words are life. Amen? Amen. That concludes our commentary, so the closing blessing is as follows. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher natan lanu torat emet ve'chaye olam nata batochinu. 
Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You've given us your Torah of truth and have planted everlasting life within our midst. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen Amen. Shabbat Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember, because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at Yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com or visit our website at graftedin.com that's graftedin.com